three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, days, and gays. This is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're all having a great day, weekend, whenever you're checking this out. Um, I'm really excited that this filmmaker made the uh, made the time to go ahead and stop by the show today. We're talking about their film, uh, their directorial debut film, Boy From Nowhere. Um, I, I'll have to get your last name, Sam, but I've got Sam. How's your address? Finley. Sam yeah. Finley. Uh, Sam, how you doing, sir? How you doing today? So good. Super excited to be here. Uh, super excited to put this film out finally. It's been in the works for a few years now. And so, yeah, really excited. Yeah. So let's just kind of jump in here. So this is your directorial debut. What were you doing like industry wise? Like that? What got you here? What led up to this film? Yeah. So I, I got into filmmaking oh 10 or 12 years ago when you know a lot the, the whole digital revolution happened and and canon put video into their dslrs and people started watching youtube and i started i got my start doing music videos and doing videos for charities around the world okay. charities like world vision and some smaller ones and so i had a charity based in western canada where i live send me all around the south southeast asia uh, to Myanmar and the Philippines and Thailand and Cambodia to cover different projects that they were doing, make promotional materials for them. And uh, and I just got a sense of, I kind of developed my style of nitty, uh, gritty on the ground documentary, run and gun style documentary filmmaking in these developing nations. And was just like, wow, you can get some incredible production value in these countries that you can't get in Canada. And it's so interesting to see them on screen. So I really built my style uh, by filming in these countries. And then I thought it would be cool to start doing music videos in them. So I did okay. uh, a couple of music videos on one trip, one sort of about a boy who gets bullied and learns martial arts and then kind of fights off the bullies in the end. And another one for Sunlux, who uh, was nominated for an Oscar last week for his soundtrack for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing soundtrack. And he's got a song in my movie as well. Um, and uh, did did this short short film style music video where you see these kids in poverty in um, in really tough locations. And at the end of the music video, you see spaceships starting to take off from the distance. And it's sort of this uh, contrast between the poverty of what we are leaving the new generations in terms of global warming and and, okay. thing, and the rich are kind of just like, we we can afford to take off. <laughs> the, the rich is sort of like a portrait of a future day when maybe earth becomes uninhabitable and everyone's getting off to the moon to live with Elon Musk or something. Oh God, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I had, I had uh, and I, I got to, to visit this, pretty dangerous spot in the southern philippines that had just been laid siege to by a rebel group uh in a town called zamboanga you can look up the uh, zamboanga siege i'm sure there's content on youtube and, and news articles and this rebel group had just attacked this city and tried to take over the city and taken a bunch of hostages burned down a whole vill fishing village and there had been a, a a war happening in the city for months and I got to visit and had a police escort and did some promotional material for some programs the charity was doing there with kids in the refugee camps and thought, wow, this is an incredible story. I would love to do something in, about the siege. And I found out that the, the rebel groups are using child soldiers. And I was like, wow, I have no idea that there are child soldiers in the Philippines. I knew there are in Africa, but yeah. I didn't know that there were in, in the Philippines. And so I learned more about that. I thought, hey, this would make a great story. Maybe I can do a short film. Uh, I went uh, a year later and uh, brought a new camera and had saved up some money and started working on this short film. And it quickly realized like it needed to become a feature. So it took a couple more trips um, to just work out the story and meet people and build connections. And you kind of have to film as you go. 
you need to film some stuff and see how it works and then show it to people. And if they're like, oh, that looks great, then they're more willing to to be a part of the next uh, stage and, and put themselves in the film. So you just kind of film and edit as you go and the story evolves as it went and eventually found this tribe in the north on the southern island of Mindanao who loved the film and wanted to help and wanted to act in it. And so I sort of developed the story in collaboration with them. Their tribe is called okay. the Talandig tribe and their village is called Sangko. And they're very known for peace building between the rebel groups in the Philippines and the government and the corporations because they're the basically what's happening in the Philippines is that there's not that much land to go around. And so the government wants to sell mining rights and plantation rights to different corporations, but often that impedes on traditional tribal lands. Mm -hmm. The traditional tribes don't feel represented in government very well. So they buy some guns. And they're like, not on our watch. <laughs> and they do kind of guerrilla warfare against the corporations, against the businesses and the government. And so you have these little cell groups of rebels and militia from the uh, from the government that are fighting each other in the jungles in the Philippines. And that's more than the north of that island. In the south, there's more Islamic rebel groups who are doing it from more of an ideology uh, perspective. And originally, my film, I wanted it to be about that. But it was just so hard to pull off an Islamic rebel group with actors. <laughs> Fair. And, and that's actually what I was going to ask you about as far as the movies, that there are so many like subgroups on the island. And I thought that for the runtime, I thought you did an incredible job of doing um of explaining what you, who each group was while still maintaining the scope of like the larger uh picture, especially when it comes to to the government aspect and uh with Gary's story. I my heart just broke for that kid as I was watching the movie. I'm just like, God, this guy just can't can't catch a break. But yeah. what was what was your what was your line of focus as far as making Gary the main character? Because I think his hero's journey is so fascinating as far as how he has these people in his ear who are telling him these things that, you know, on from, from an outsider perspective, you're like, oh, why are you telling him that? You're taking advantage of him. But then at the same time, when he gets to the end of that of said journey, you almost feel like that knowledge is weirdly earned and it, it gives him a unique perspective of where, like, Kind of filling in the, the gaps of his story and his life. So yeah, could you kind of speak to Gary and his? Yeah. So let me just give like a quick overview for people who are listening who haven't seen the film, which is probably most of them of what happens in the film. So and and backing up maybe for a second to say every actor in the film is a non-actor. Every actor in the film is essentially playing themselves. Gary's name is Gary. <laughs> That's why his name's <laughs> Gary in film. Yeah. Because I knew if I gave him a different name, he would forget to respond to it. <laughs> or hey, at least you acknowledge that though. <laughs> yeah. Knack's name is Knack. Almost everybody has the same name. Um, and everyone's just kind of playing themselves. So with Gary, I wanted to accomplish a, a, a couple of different things. I wanted someone whose story reflected a few different stories of people that I came across, whether it was a Bajau fishing village kid or a kid who gets involved in gang life or a kid who becomes a part of the child soldiers. And I wanted someone to go on this journey where we were able to see different slices of life from the Philippines uh, of poverty, but also human stories in the Philippines, whether it's inner city gang life, slums in the streets, the fishing villages, the mountains and the tribal farms or the rebel groups in the jungles. And so Gary sort of goes on this hero's journey to see different things, but also to, um, to show off two themes that I discovered in the Philippines that I didn't go in knowing about one being food scarcity and the other being fatherlessness. And that these are huge issues in the Philippines where a lot of kids will be become manipulated just because they're hungry. They'll go yeah. where the food is and their major problem in life is where am I going to get my next meal from? Um, and they can easily get manipulated or thrown into this situation or that situation, depending if they have nothing to hold on to for, for their next meal. 
And that's the mission that the tribe in the North in real life is making a huge effort against, which is through farming, through providing food, um, through teaching farming, to teach people how to take care of themselves and where their next meal is going to come from. The other is fatherlessness is there's a lot of broken homes in the Philippines and a lot of kids who end up joining gangs because they have more male role models in the gang um, or whatever. And so Gary his um, not to give too much away, but his father dies. That was a tough decision to make and a tough scene to do. Um, I wanted to have it be more clear that that's what happened in the film, but we weren't able to film in a hospital and doing death scenes. I yeah. wanted to just keep the story moving. One of the things you might criticize in the film is like, oh, it kind of moves quickly. Like now we're over here, now we're over here. And it's like, I wanted to keep the story moving as quickly as possible and inciting incidents. And maybe that's a, a function of being a first time director where you're you're so afraid that you're going to bore the audience. Yeah. And, and another major thing is that when you're making a film for both Filipinos and for an international audience, it's tough to tick both boxes. Like Filipinos are very emotional people. They really want to feel the emotions of somebody's journey and they want to, they almost want to see them cry, but a more international audience, we don't really want to see someone cry. We don't want to stew. Yeah. Like, just let's get a move on to the next thing. I feel like Filipinos are so much more, um, more uh, aware of their feelings and able to feel their feelings. And so that could be a criticism of the film I could see from a more Filipino standpoint is just like we, we they would want to experience Gary's grief with him when he ha when he experiences loss or disappointment um and we don't see that as much on on film it's more presumed so to get, to to play devil's advocate a bit on that without giving too much away there's a scene with a picture that i think perfectly encapsulates what you're talking about as far as the emotion of Gary cuz that scene i I was actually, and I mean this as a compliment, taken a bit back where I just went, oh, wow, like you don't always need to, you know, and this is a common criticism that I have. You don't always need to lay everything out for your audience. You need to trust your audience to be able to connect the dots if you give them the, the material. And I think you do a great job, uh, especially in that scene of providing the emotional context for Gary without just coming right out and bleh. So... So, so I, I think that's a box that you definitely, uh, that you definitely Thank tick. You. Let me, let me ask you, like, this is, I haven't shown the film, like I haven't heard a lot of critics reviews mm -hmm. and it's a, it's not a high budget movie. It's shot in the Philippines. So like a lot of people don't have even a context for what that even looks like to see yeah. a, a film shot in the Philippines. What was your initial take on it? And would you give it a positive review or a negative review? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'll tell you, like, I'll, I'm uh, I'm gonna review it tonight. I actually watched it last night. I like to give myself typically 24 hours between review, a, a, a viewing and a review, just to kind of let everything simmer. Um, I mean, I got like two pages worth of notes here that I took on the film, so I'm landing on a I'm landing on a B on it. I think it's a really what a uh, well-made film i was invested in gary and uh knack knack since you mentioned him i was really invested in in them and the again without spoiling too much the journey that knack knack goes on for thinking what he is you know thinking he's a gangster and then where he kind of ends up and having his worldview completely shifted uh due, due to the circumstances that they that they land on i thought I was invested in both their journeys and I really like the way where the film uh, ends up too. Um, there's this one shot in particular where you're focusing on crops and then it like, like, I don't want to say like wipes, but then it goes to this other scene where you see that the crops have been like picked clean. And then, and it's such a smooth transition that I was like, Oh, I really like that. So there, there, there are multiple moments uh, like that for me that I really enjoyed. Um, again, without spoiling, there's something about basketball at the beginning and how that ties to the end of the movie that I just thought, from a director's perspective, I thought that was such a cool little thing that you mm -hmm. threw in there. So I really enjoyed myself. And when the, the movie was over, I was like, oh, that flew by. And at the end of the day, that's always what I'm looking for. I never want a movie to feel like a chore. I want to enjoy myself. Yeah, and it, it never dragged for me. 
awesome awesome oh i'm so excited to hear that um i think it's so if it, it, it feels like being naked showing a piece of work to people and it's tough as a first-time filmmaker i have a lot of friends in the industry who have come up who are great filmmakers who've made ads that you've seen um tons of film festivals but haven't tried their hand at a feature yet because they're so afraid that it will just land with a thud um, yeah it's so hard to keep people's attention for that long and there's so much competition there's so much high people expect huge budgets people expect huge actors and i just went with the the like what i knew and what i thought was interesting and being like hey everybody knows a filipino like everybody's got a filipino friend yeah. but we know hardly anything about the philippines and so i think there's a little bit of interest there just like hey i would want to watch this to know more about my friend's country um and what they're going through but also it is it is enlightening to to see films set in other countries but what what often happens though is that the ones that are shot in in other countries are either very violent and don't express the the actual emotion of or, or the story of what's happening in that country, or they're not produced at a level that we we can sit through. Like they're more amateurish. So yeah. I was trying to bring a Western production level of in terms of cinematography, um, and and what we expect in terms of acting and stuff in that eye, but also telling their story as well, and not trying to just impose what I think the story should be or making an action film. The trailer kind of makes it seem like an action film, but it's more of an adventure film. It's not so much about the the action, and although there are those scenes to it. Um, yeah, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to mention as well is uh, is that there was this, this is an Easter egg, uh, which is kind of funny, but I learned about filmmaking in this process is uh, that I wanted to ask you about was the scene where they're watching the TV. Yeah. And this old Western scene that they're watching. Um, I wanted to ask you what your impressions of that was because originally they were watching Rambo. Really? Originally okay. they were watching Rambo. And there's this scene in Rambo where I wonder how much time we have. I think I have another interview. <laughs> I could just sit and chat all day. Um, yeah, I have another one that I'm supposed to jump into, I'm sure. So let me just we could we could all also pick it up in a few minutes if you wanted to if i want to jump over to the other one if you have time yeah no like let let me know i can keep this open okay let's let me jump over to the other one um give me 15 or 20 minutes if that's okay with you that, and then that's totally fine okay because yeah. i'd love to keep chatting about it yeah so i was talking about how uh one of the interesting tidbits of the film that i'll tell you that i haven't told anybody else is Ooh, that you had this scene where Gary and Knack Knack are watching a movie and Gary, I, I love this scene beforehand where uh, Gary meets Knack Knack cause he's stuck on the side of the road and this truck of random guys picks him up and Knack Knack's like, Oh yeah, we're kind of like outlaws. And Gary's like, what's an outlaw. And he's like, Oh, you've never seen a Western movie. Like you've never seen Rambo. You've never seen any of these movies. He's like, no, I haven't. I don't know what an outlaw is. And so he's going to show him the movie Rambo. Um, is what they say. And so in the original film, in the film that's seen in film festivals, they're watching a scene from Rambo where Rambo, it, it's interesting too, because I didn't know that the movie, The Expendables was inspired by this line from Rambo 2, if you didn't know. No. So he's actually talking with this lady uh, on a boat and he's like, yeah, I just feel like I'm expendable. Like they don't care about me, but they're just sending me into battle and I'm expendable. And so there, I, I have this scene where they watch and Gary gets this idea of being expendable and it sort of sets up the theme of them becoming child soldiers and they're just expendable in this battle. And then he talks about getting the tattoo of expendable. Um, but then when I got distribution for the film, they were like, we can't keep Rambo because we can't pay for like you to include Rambo. And I was like, let's just risk it. If we get sued, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> They're like, no, Interesting. no, no Cause so I like that I tattoo to conversation too. Yeah. Cause I, I, it was really key to the film in my opinion. Um, but then I had to find a free license like copyright free film yeah and so i found this film i don't know how i found it but it was copyright free 
and it was called the proud outlaw. And so they talk about being an outlaw, but then there's this woman character and the, and she's like a badass and she's fighting off these rebels that are trying to get her land. And then there's this scene with this boy who's a mute deaf kid. And he like, she becomes his mother figure to him. And he watches as the rebels burn down the barn and he almost dies in the burning. And then there's this father figure that saves him. And then at the end, he helps him in a fight against the rebels. And I was like, this is boy from nowhere. Like, this is the same story. Okay. <laughs> and so I put these scenes in and some people thought maybe it was too many or it was too long, but I was curious what you thought of that scene and did it make sense to you or was it just confusing like why was that scene added it it, it made sense to me because it feels like um i felt like gary at points was watching was almost like a spectator on his own life anyway so sitting there and having watched that scene with knack knack i thought was kind of the hint to the audience of this is how he's feeling because i mean to your point with the movie you know his village is burned down he, uh, and and I'll leave it with just that. But all these things that happen with him, he really is almost like a spectator as all these things are happening. So him feeling like he has some sense of normalcy in that moment with Knock Knock watching that movie, being taught that I went, oh, this totally makes sense for the journey that he's on. So it wasn't confusing to me when I was watching it in real time. Okay, good. Good. Because that was like the slight of the the greatest bit of sleight of hand in the whole production was figuring out how do we replace Rambo in this scene without me just cutting the scene because I thought it was so good. But fortunately I'd shot it in such a way that you just see them watching and then I switched the t- what was on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about it earlier and I want to go back to it real quick. You were talking about how you wanted to shoot like in a hospital and show like a like a like a more intense like kind of like a death scene but that you weren't able to get you know access what what were, was there anything like maybe in the outline stages or anything that you went i want to do this outside of that that just logistically you weren't allowed to do or like was there anything like you had to leave on the cutting room floor like kind of talk to me about that aspect well there were a few scenes that were really tough that the movie was made or broken on those scenes. And those were the, the basically the action scenes. And I had to figure out a way to do those scenes, even though they were really hard. And to be honest, the hospital death scene, it wasn't so much about even just getting into hospital, but it was about what kind of scenes am I throwing my non-actors into? That's and fair. which ones can they handle and which ones will they not be able to handle? And very emotionally rich goodbye scenes would be very, would have been very tough for them where like, okay, I need you to show emotion. Your dad is dying. And it was very tough to like go to trust them with those. And maybe I should have trusted them more to try it. Um, but for both the dad and Gary, I was worried about these emotional scenes. And so we kind of just go to a few months later and we hear that he's in a refugee camp and he's talking about it. And a friend gives him some advice um, to just sort of, hey, just see where the wind takes me. Just go and see what happens and, and pursue your mom. And so he does. And then he just ends up on this crazy adventure that the rest of the film happens as he's pursuing like the the, the valley where he thinks that his mom lives, who he can't remember. And who, um, in my mind, she had had a mental disability or a mental schizophrenia or something that had happened. And I don't know if I ended up referencing that in the film, but that was kind of the backstory for me okay. um, because that's something that often goes undiagnosed in the Philippines when people have schizophrenia or bipolar or different mental issues and, and make, made her unfit to be a mother, but she was a part of this tribe. And so the tribe becomes like his other parent figure. Um, but yeah, the action scenes were very tough to pull off. And so for instance, we have a scene where like he he lives in a Bajau fishing village um, and we wanted to burn down the village. And that was inspired by the Zamboanga siege where a rebel group had laid siege to the city. And originally I had gunshots and I had rebels that were burning down the village. And I decided to take that out because it and leave it more ambiguous as to what had happened because I didn't want to, it's a very fine line when you're making a film like this to 
who am I going to piss off? Basically, like, yeah. <laughs> am I going to piss off the government? Am I going to piss off the rebel groups? <laughs> am I going to piss off the tribes? Like in your story, you have to be respectful to everybody. And so I had to make a lot of creative decisions based purely on practicality and like not making people angry. Yeah, <laughs> really there. Tricky. So I just made it ambiguous, like why the fire had broken out. And to be honest, these villages that are built are not fire safe. <laughs> if a small fire breaks out, it can take out a whole village because they're not prepared for that kind of thing. So we built a few structures on the sand when the tide went out and then we burned that part down. And then I used CGI okay. on the CGI on the, on the ones behind them. Um, and it, it's not perfect, but I did the best I could with that. And then there's another scene where they're at a rave and yeah. there's a, a a hit that happens. And it was interesting because I wanted to bring in this handgun prop into the rave. And they were like, no, Sam, we can't do that. Like, that's way too risky. There were guards who had big AR-15 rifles and oh, there was lots of police security at this rave. And I was like, they were like, no. So I was like, okay, I won't cross that line. So there's a scene where we see one of them kind of slip something into his pocket and it wasn't a gun but uh, it looked like one. <laughs> yeah but you could tell i couldn't i couldn't risk that um and then the final the big shootout scene um uh, not to give too much away there's a shootout scene with the with the military and um that was the actual military on a training day and the oh, general wow. the general gave me they're like yeah we have a training day booked so you can just take them out and just have some fun in the in the woods and uh I think it was my birthday too. So it was such a cool. Oh, geez. <laughs> and it was, but it was the first time I'd ever shot an action scene. And I was just figuring out how to do this. And I couldn't really choreograph them. So I was just like, do what you would do if you were actually fighting a rebel group. So they did this kind of pincer movement where some of them would go lie down and cover fire while some of them ran around and then lie down and cover fire. And some of them would run around. And uh, I just kind of, and then it started to pour rain. And they wanted to quit. And I was like, no, we have to keep shooting. It looks <laughs> awesome on camera. So I wrapped my camera in a bed sheet. I had the Sony FS7 and wrapped it in a bed sheet. And okay. I was soaking wet. And we were all just getting poured on. And I was running around. And then the other problem we had was the other guns, the Rebel guns, were actually airsoft guns. They weren't real guns. And so they couldn't get rained on or they would get, they would break. So. Oh. So the rebels were shooting. And then so all of a sudden the rebel guns switched to actual AR-15 rifles that the military had because they were waterproof. <laughs> so just the stuff that you have to do to make it happen. But once I had that scene, I knew I had a movie Yeah, uh, because that scene worked out really well. And I was like, okay, like you need some action. You can't just have this drama. Uh, especially if you're doing a child soldier scene or movie. And I honestly would have wished I'd gone a little bit more with the action, I think in hindsight, but okay. it was just tough to pull off, um, especially with non-actors. And and honestly, in locations where there are rebel groups and the military is operating and you got to be really careful. Um, but the other thing I would say is that I had this vision in my head of this scene where they're searching for the rebels and they use a flare. Mm. Uh, and I'd gotten the idea from Terminator Salvation with, uh, yeah, that came out a few years ago and they like Christian Bale's in it and he got a flare and he yeah. lights this up and it looks awesome. And so it's totally ripping off Terminator Salvation. <laughs> Anytime you interview like a director about their film, just be like, how many movies did you rip off? <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, it's funny. That's one of the two questions I actually have written here. Like what were, like, were there specific, I mean, obviously you talked about your, your volunteer work and everything but like were there any specific films shows that you were like i want to grab you know that from here and that from here and find a way to incorporate it into this world i'm creating yeah i was really inspired by carrie fukugana's movies uh beasts of no nation although i didn't want to do something similar to that and it was impossible for me to pull off something like that with the resources that i had that movie is so great but also his first movie called Sin Nombre, um, which was a film that I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. I have not. Okay. Um, so he's a, a big Hollywood director now, but his first film was about a um, 
a gangster in Mexico who's charged with killing this young woman as a, I forget why, um, but then he falls in love with her and decides to help her escape. And so they escape on the trains and they try to get to America to cross the border, but the gang finds out. So the gang is like train hopping and chasing them on the trains. Okay. It was just, it was low budget and they used real gangsters with real face tattoos and real locations and just did it super gritty. And so that movie was super inspiring to me because they did it. They just had a simple story and they used the real locations and the real people for super low budget. And it turned out so well. Um, And obviously his career has taken off and I don't think my film is in the same league as, as that one, but, but kind of similar vibes. Um, So that was really inspiring to me. But then there were lots of movies and music videos um, shot in Southeast Asia that were inspiring to me as well. Um, And Africa. Yeah. Child soldier movies. And I don't even know where to start, (laughs) but I'll I'll mention that one because it's probably a lot of your viewers or listeners haven't seen it and I'd highly recommend it. All right. I've got two more questions for you. Um, At the end of the day, um, I really did find this. I, I thought you did a great job with, with this movie. It really makes me look forward to what you do uh, next. And we were talking earlier in the interview about how, you know, the aud- audiences now, and I, <laughs> I've been doing this podcast for a while and I feel like such a pretentious douche whenever I say this, but I keep coming back to it that I feel like audiences do stray more to the, bigger summer blockbustery type mm-hmm. films than like the more quiet films. Like one of my favorite films from this past year was After Sun. And everyone I've talked, like no one's seen After Sun. And it's a small, like yeah, a- After Sun's an incredible movie. And I'm so sad that Oh movie- yeah, yeah. I saw a trailer for it with A24. It looked amazing. Yeah, yeah After Sun's incredible. when you think about your next project from where you're starting now with the the music videos and everything, where are you kind of wanting to go as far as a director? That's a great question. And I think you need to get into where the film industry is at and how sustainable it is to try to make a living as a feature film director. And one of the decisions that I made is that I'm basically not willing to move to LA or New York wow. or Toronto even. And if you really want to pursue it and you have this vision of becoming a feature film director down the road and doing these big budget movies, that's a pretty key step that you need to make. You need to be willing to go to the place and and really uh, get your boots on the ground and, and hustle and network and meet the right people to make these things happen for yourself. And I'm not sure. I just like working in film. Yeah, I'm not sure if I will do another feature film because it was a lot of flipping work (laughs) and a lot of patience and I didn't get paid. I had to spend a lot of my own money. I hope it comes out and people buy it and I'm able to make some of my money back. But I've invested at least $20,000 of my own money in making the movie happen. Um, I, I would hope I could get a producer on board. I have two ideas for potential features that I'm working on scripts for. One is a Ugandan boxing movie. I did a boxing okay. documentary, uh, a, a short do- boxing documentary in Uganda that played four film festivals in the last couple of years and won some awards and was a really fun, interesting project to work on. And I got connections in this slum in Kampala, Uganda, where I'm able to film that production value is incredible. And we'd put on these boxing matches and the whole neighborhood would come out and it was just craziness. Um, and I could definitely do something there. Although again, like the Philippines, it's tough to sell a movie shot in Africa about Africans. Yeah. Unfortunately, you need to get a white guy. in there. Or something yeah. Yeah. Honestly, some angle to it. The other, uh, story kind of similar to that is, um, uh, a basketball movie about a refugee from Sudan who comes to Toronto and, uh, sneaks his way into Canada by hiding out and becomes an illegal immigrant and then starts playing basketball um, and loves playing basketball. And he he ends up really good and starts getting some opportunities, but then it comes into question his age, whether he's he's too old to play and whether he's in the country illegally. Um, And so he needs to figure out how he can stay on the team and prove his age and prove and get refugee status after uh, having a legal immigrant status. 
And I've met a number of people that have coached me on the story and know different stories. And I'm friends with a, a South Sudanese pop star who acted in a film called The Good Lie with Reese Witherspoon. It came out a few oh, years ago. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. He was one of the three African guys. And so he and I have been uh, figuring out how to make the film happen. He lives in Toronto and we're good friends. And um, so that's a film idea that could have a connection with a developing country and sport that I'm really passionate about and yet shoot it in Canada, get some Canadian funding and use my basketball connections. So I had spent some time on the ground in Toronto building up relationships there, but I need to find a producer. So if there's any listening <laughs> who want to help <laughs> fundraise. Yeah, yeah, help help because I'm out here. no way I'm self-funding the next one. <laughs> Fair. Now, now um I think the last question I have for you is when I got well, to which the one end, of those two sounds the most engaging to you. Ugandan so, boxing or so I'm a, I'm a big boxing guy. Okay. But I'll be honest, I think like I love basketball. Like I grew up playing it. I just I love the sport. So if I had to pick, I'd lean towards towards basketball. Yeah. But I also think the sport of boxing is just very undervalued um in large part to to UFC and the corruption of the sport unfortunately, but I think that that a great boxing movie like when when those hit, those just those those freaking hit so i would i would really like to see both but if i had to lean towards one or the other i'd probably lean towards the boxing one but okay yeah the boxing ones are unless it's rocky related we don't see a lot of them no not really mma one with tom hardy a few years ago Uh, warrior warrior is excellent yeah really good um there's definitely more of a market for basketball movies but it's also tough to do a basketball movie that feels fresh yeah really easy to screw it up i didn't like the ben affleck one that came out recently oh the way Uh, the way they oh oh that one yeah 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 i i kind of liked the adam sandler one but i didn't i didn't actually love it um there were some really cool things about it but i thought as a human story it lacked it was just kind of like hey look at how many celebrities we can put in this movie yeah (laughs) and a real basketball player and i think that's a hard balance unfortunately to strike because you do have to sell the movie because i thought the guy like the the basketball player he recruits i thought he did a great i thought he did an excellent job i was like wow okay but to your point if you know the sport nba player yeah yeah. (laughs) but it's like but it's like when you start looking around the movie it's like oh it's this person oh it's this person and i think you kind of get overload at at a certain point where you're just like okay this is kind of of the story yeah so 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 i get what you're saying i I think something like warrior does work a little better uh does work better on that front because you don't have this constant so kind of reminder i'll I'll give you a shout when i need a story editor when i'm writing the script give me some pointers okay you 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 (laughs) let you let me know (laughs) then if the movie sucks it's it's not just yeah blame it on me that's totally fine (laughs) i also really liked the movie uh the um what was, was it the air up there it was the uh the kevin oh, bacon yeah the kevin bacon, bacon one yeah i feel like it's due for a remake <laughs> i think you could actually remake that and like, it's so weird because because like that came out i feel like maybe a year or so um before this really random disney movie that tim allen did called jungle jungle which just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which i remember just being like i was like this is a weird movie i'm like it's actually kind of offensive when you take a step back but it but <laughs> both in of the, them were very offensive yeah you're just like so offensive yeah you're like uh but but i think you could actually remake it and kind of lean into it and and use it as a like a like a mirror to actually talk about you know how we because i i could go on a whole rant about you know people of color being athletes and how you know they they make money but the owners make more and that's a whole other thing in itself but um but i think from your perspective in particular i think boxing is such a corrupt sport but i think that's where the social commentary could really come in to make a statement about boxing because when you think about someone you know like you know, one of my favorite boxers was, uh, you, you know, you think about someone like Tyson, who had this incredible career, but, you know, Don King is just stealing his money, like, you know, every, you know, at every opportunity. But 
I would love to see boxing kind of get more of a spotlight and a positive light because I think you do have to start just tearing parts of that institution down to make it um, credible, which I know is, you know, uh, quite the undertaking. <laughs> New idea. First on this podcast, we start with a Ugandan boxing documentary. Okay. But he ends up doing a tournament in the Philippines put on by okay. Pacquiao. Okay. And you... Crossover. And Boom. we Pacquiao in it. Uganda-Philippines crossover boxing movie. <laughs> See, God. three minutes and we've already got a tweak in the should story. just do a weekly brainstorm session. <laughs> hey, you, let, you, you have my information. You let me know. Um, yeah. Last thing I'll throw out to you um, as a first-time director. Um, like I said, I want to give you your props because I really think you did a, you, you did a great job. Um, if you could tell but? me... Odd <laughs> no, 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 but no, but um, if you're it, for my audience specifically, what would you tell a first time director who's looking to get into film media in general and they're just kind of feeling overwhelmed as far as where to start? What would you tell them? Yeah, I would think three, two or three things. Um, one is to use your unfair advantage. And that's sort of the flip side of finding your voice. It's what do you have access to? What part of the world, what corner of your city or something do you have access to that you can tell a story about because you know, and you have, you have access to those locations or those peoples um, so that it's authentically you. And don't worry so much about the technical side of things. Worry more about the storytelling and the producing into this area of reality that you know well and then find people to help you with the technical stuff so the second is sort of finding the right people to partner with so my movie i wouldn't even have made it if my friend andrew didn't offer to score it for me before i made it wow so i need because i needed to have a great score and so he said okay i'll help you with the score another friend helped me with the color another friend helped doing some of the visual effects Sun Lux, who's nominated for an Oscar next month for everything, everywhere, all at once. I'd done a music video for him. He said, okay, you can use a track for free. Um, wow. And it was just people chipping in. And as long as you don't ask people to chip in too much, but if you really communicate the vision of your project and you say, hey, this is what I know. This is what I have access to. This is my unfair advantage. I can do a good job in this area. So don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to do something that you're not that's not your voice. That's not your area of expertise. So like if you grew up playing ice hockey, do something in ice hockey because you know that world. Yeah. Um, so for the Philippines, I mean, I didn't know the Philippines, but I spent a few trips there and I got to know it and I had my own perspective and I could trust my perspective. And I was like, this is unique and original. So at the end of the day, even if I make this movie, even if it's not great, it will reflect a story from this culture that people can respect because it's something they don't see every day. So yeah. what do you know about that you don't see every day? And then what skills of your friends or community can you reach out to fill in the gaps? And then the other thing is to just try it, but don't try to do a feature film <laughs> right <laughs> off the bat. Like do shorts first, figure out if you really have what it takes to do a feature Build up your credibility by doing shorts, whether it's music videos or short films. Um, learn about the process of finishing something because when you take on an unwieldy project like a feature film, it could drag for years and it just becomes this thing you can never finish. <laughs> so Fair. I would say try your hand at smaller things and finish things, learn how to finish and then keep building up until you get to the spot where you feel like you're ready. Is that good? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, I I I love that answer. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess what I'll ask lastly here, since this is a podcast after all, where can people find your stuff? Where can people find you? I, I don't know if you're on social media. Like, where can people find your stuff? Yeah, I haven't done a a great job of promoting myself online. Um, you can definitely find me on Instagram at S J Finley Finley with an A. Um, I've posted some of my stuff about Boy From Nowhere and my other documentaries and some of my photography from around the world. Feel free to reach out. Please send me a message, a like or a comment or a follow. 
um, on there. That's probably the best place. It can check out some more of my work on sjfinley.com. I don't have a YouTube channel. It's funny because as a filmmaker nowadays, everybody's like, oh, what's your YouTube? And they're like, I'm a filmmaker, not a YouTuber. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Interesting. So so is there a reason why you don't? Like, are you trying to... So, so okay. I Okay, I lied. This is the last question. What is your kind of relationship like? Because there has to be that... That almost that internal conversation because i'll be the first to admit like i've gotten better about advertising the podcast in the last couple years but there was this part of me that's like it's almost used car salesman and being like listen to my stuff it's like uh this feels kind of weird like is that something you're still working on getting over because you do have to promote your stuff obviously yeah to be honest i have i have work to do on that because i hate being like oh here come check out my stuff and and with you, YouTube is just a different game where it's more about quantity over quality and putting out content often Yes. on top of that. And I'm definitely more about the quality. Like I'll put out one thing a year kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. a short film every year or a, or a couple of music videos or a documentary. I do a lot of sport themed documentary that gets broadcast in Canada. I'm actually side note, like known for my CrossFit show. I did a CrossFit show. Wait, really? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, what's it, what's it called? What's it called? <laughs> oh no, man! It's called All In. If you search All In CrossFit Show, you should be able to find it. Okay. Um, so it was commissioned by a broadcaster in Canada uh, about the two top Canadian. There's two guys that are like top five in the world at CrossFit. They're huge celebrities, which is such a funny niche culture. Maybe yeah. I should do a CrossFit movie. To be honest, like, I mean, you probably so could. Dude. I mean, that's a documentary that would. That would hit a lot of people. I well, mean, I did. I have millions and millions of views of my cross. Oh, geez. Well, then, okay. <laughs> see, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And I and I really got to explore my sense of humor in that show because I was like, I don't care about CrossFit. I don't care about fitness. Let's just have fun and let's make fun of this. And so we just did so many gags and we did meme songs and we did all kinds of fun things in it. And the guys really didn't take themselves too seriously. We shot like an 80s themed training montage nice. for the third season. And we had a few of the CrossFit celebrities, including the top black CrossFitter in the in the bit. Okay. Um, and uh, and so we just I had so much fun with that community. And it's so different than my international narrative work. So I don't like to cross pollinate and promote them at the same time. I think that's tricky with your brand that people kind of expect something from you. But as a filmmaker, it's just fun to be working. And it's yeah. fun to be challenged with different kinds of projects and it's fun to do more long form work. So I don't do ads. Um, I don't really do that much promo material. That's like short form work. I'm always trying to do stuff. That's like at least 10 or 15 minutes long so that we get to tell a bit of a story um, and challenge myself in that way. So it is weird. If you go to my website, you'll see like my, my really gritty documentaries and my and boy from nowhere. And then you'll see CrossFit. And I did an ice hockey show with team Canada. <laughs> and it's just okay. like very, very all over the place, but it's, I'm okay with it because I'm like, I get to work as a filmmaker and that's just a dream come true to be able to get paid and not always well and not always consistently, but um, <laughs> sometimes it works out to live your dream. So but you're doing what you love to do at the end of the day. Yep. I love it. And you too. You get to do podcasts. That's awesome. Well, it's it's really funny. This is actually, unfortunately, not my day job yet. I'm still working for someday for this to be my day job. So this is a very You'll get there. Uh, this is a very intense hobby. Uh for <laughs> well, you're picking up great skills too that you can apply in different things, and maybe you'll apply that to someone else somewhere else. So it, it, yeah, and I mean honestly, like I, I just started doing interviews in the last oh god year maybe less than a year um and it was something i was terrified of doing i was like oh god i don't want to interview directors that sounds terrible and now i i genuinely look forward to conversations like this i'm like oh yeah let's let's talk about your you know let's talk about your flicks so to your point you're you're right this is just you know more things i can add on and hopefully spin this into something else but at the end of the day i love doing this podcast it's a labor of love it's a lot to do but it's stuff that i love doing so at yes. the end of the day, I can't, I can't be mad at that, but um, seriously, thank you so much, so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me. This was a blast. I will 
be adding you on Instagram, and I will be tagging you in this when this goes up here. Uh, probably next week is when it will go up, but because uh, yeah, I, I don't want the Super Bowl to just engulf everything. <laughs> but, yeah, but, uh, but, but seriously, thank you again so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Okay, we did get a Super Bowl ad for the movie, so watch out for that. We, we did, <laughs> we we did only you? afford one second. It's only one second long. <laughs> Just hey, you know, from nowhere. Hey, you know what though? People know the name of it. <laughs> What is this? It's probably worth it to just even get a half second. People be like, "What was that?" Because honestly, that if you just flash the, the the title screen, people would have to like do some research on it. So that would actually probably behoove you to do that. Of course, I'm joking. I can't. I that would be like ten times, a million times the budget of the actual movie. <laughs> just so, okay. You know, what? actually, damn it. Okay, last question. I swear to God, what was the budget on this? Like, how how do you go about appearing like? Because, I mean, you've got to fly over, you've got to film your stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. that's a lot of moving, you know, that's a lot of moving pieces you have to. Yeah, I would say I spent, like, it's called a micro budget if it's around 100000 And <laughs> I think I probably spent twenty to 25000 of my own money. Jeez. Okay, and so this is. So it's very micro budget. And yeah. that was with a lot of people not getting paid. That was just like hard, mostly hard costs and then distributor costs and, and insurance and different things are included in that. But the actual me on the ground paying for travel props and food was like, and me getting there and lodging was like 10 grand. So I feel like this is a micro, micro, micro budget. (laughs) So let's see if you can find a lesser budget movie that was not watchable. (laughs) (laughs) You can let me know. Well, it definitely doesn't look like it because I was like sitting there watching. I was like, I feel like this is probably around maybe, maybe like a hundred k for the budget. Maybe like that's that's the range I kept kind of going back to. Yeah. Um, but I thought the camera work that alone, I was like, I'm impressed what you're able to do with what I, you know what was to your point a micro micro budget. Like it looks good for that for that price and everything. Yeah, it was just me with the camera and a, an assistant and a bunch of actors running around having a fun time. <laughs> and me just scoping out in different locations and scoping shots and trying to blend in. <laughs> but I got some shots where people are full on just like looking at the camera. Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, well, I didn't catch that while I was watching. So so you so you did so you so, so you and the editing crew like team, you did a good job hiding that stuff. But um but again, thank you so much uh for taking out the time. And uh yeah, we'll have to do this again when uh you've got another uh music video or something coming up can't wait man can't wait for the ugandan filipino crossover boxing movie yeah yeah, we'll we'll have to put that script together (laughs) i'll keep you in the loop okay thanks joshua thanks so much hey you take care have a good day you too